Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Decentralized Podcast. We bring you the latest information, news and education on all things Bitcoin, blockchain and crypto. I'm Alex and as always, I've got Kosh with me. And on today's episode, we've got Lasenka from Independent Reserve. That's right. So Lasenka is actually one of the founders and uh, current directors of Independent Reserve. And they started Independent Reserve way back in 2013. Yeah, isn't and that like after the Mount Gox days? Yeah, yeah. exactly right. So that's what Lasenka was saying. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think anyone really realizes because Australia is usually seen as you know 10 years behind. And it was just interesting. Even we didn't realize that independent reserve have been around for that long and yeah it you know, started off as just a small outfit i think two or three guys and um you know they've built something that's now become i think the second largest exchange yeah in the country. i think between them and btc markets they're the largest and um on this episode we're going to talk to lasanka about how they handle security uh, as a centralized exchange uh, i think that's a big piece that a lot of people uh, are concerned about in the in the exchange space and then also he's going to tell us a little bit about some of the new products they've got coming out and yeah and the future. what's on the horizon yeah absolutely so they've got some big players um on their team that too and so you know i think it's pretty exciting times for independent reserve they've got some big ambitious plans and i think they just might be able to pull it off so hope you guys enjoy the episode and listening to lasanka from independent reserve decentralized all right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are at APAC day two, and we're sitting next to Lasanka, the founder and CEO of CEO. Yes, uh, no, I'm what do you prefer? like a sales guy. Oh, founder, <laughs> yes, I'm a director. Founder, director. Uh, kind of like the more relationship and sales guy because every every organization needs one. Of independent reserve. Should get that in there, otherwise, people. Thanks, like, Kosh. Yeah. Every organization needs one. As pretty as him. <laughs> I could probably do better though. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, interesting to put a face to what's going on at Independent Reserve. A lot of these exchanges you don't get to see who's sort of behind them. So nice to see you in the flesh. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Kosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as most exchanges, I guess the people are quite hidden, and it's. I think at times, we tried to be different when we launched with IR because. I guess we launched at a time when it was pretty wild west so ir we started in 2013 you know yeah. kind of the good old mount gox days um and i guess a lot of the things that were happening at that time wasn't really positive it was you know there's a lot of stigma stigma around bitcoin and silk road and all this kind of stuff and mount gox didn't really have visible people and founders um and when we were trying to start a business we wanted to kind of create a certain amount of credibility so so our goal was to i guess i might even take it a step back so when we were starting ir before we started ir i tried to buy some crypto on mount gox yep. took me six weeks to open an account i had to send money to japan this money got converted from aud to yen um at like five percent uh it took like five days for them to credit me my money in this time, the exchange went down or got hacked, and then it came back up. Um, and then, I guess what happened after that wasn't wasn't really good. So, so my background is financial markets. So, really like nicely working, consumer facing financial services businesses. That's what I've been doing. And yeah. in in the Australian jurisdiction, so regulated regulated financial services businesses. What we wanted to do with Independent Reserve is to create that for. Australia and to create that for the digital currency market. 
And that's kind of how Independent Reserve came about. So how was your personal journey into cryptocurrency? How did that come about? What led you to go to Mt. Gox in 2013 so, money? So my business partner, Adrian, uh, Adrian Shawozny, good, uh, strong Polish name. Yep. He He's an enterprise architect. So his, his background is he's been building really high-scale enterprise systems for blue chip companies in Australia. So Channel 9, AMP, ANZ, these kind of companies. So he first told me about Bitcoin in 2012. He told me to try and buy some. Right. Um, and I found it really, really difficult. And I found it, you know, like nothing like the financial services businesses that we see in Australia were like. So, did, yeah. Did you view it as a, as a currency back then or as an asset? Or was it more like a, like a game token? Because we're talking with... Um Brad from Austrack earlier today, and he kind of said that, you know, for them it, there was no interest in crypto back then because for them it could have been tokens to buy peanuts or tokens no to buy whatever. Like it had no real value. Yeah. And like it's arguably in 2012 you could almost say that it, at least in the mind of um, the normal world, it had no value outside of it sounding like a, a game token more than anything else. So what what sort of made you put it in the context of, you know financial services well um, so I, I guess it, it was pretty small back then it was a very small subset of people usually tech guys that even knew about this so yeah. I remember trying to read about it and there was actually nothing that I could read you know there's no Wikipedia page there's like no reads yeah it was just like totally blank like in terms of finding yeah. you know stuff to read and learn um, us as a business, if we were going to create a digital currency exchange where people deposit fiat into a bank account and they, you know, they credited, they get that credited to a, like a wallet, we hold their fiat in trust, uh, we then enable them to buy something that resembles, you know, like a security or a currency or a product, which is traded online. In, in my mind, like that, you know, a lot of those things that we do really resemble financial services. Take people's money and we keep it in trust, and we enable them to buy a product which they can, you know, trade and withdraw and all that kind of stuff. So in my mind, is you know what we were building is like in many ways a financial services business. Um, and so after we, you know, we incorporated the business in June 2013, we raised uh, we raised a little bit of money, which enabled us to start building the technology. But in 2014, we actually applied for an Australian financial services license. Okay. Um, what year was that, sorry? 2014. Right. Yeah, so, so we were pretty early. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so there was, I guess, a learning curve for ASIC. So we were kind of teaching them along, you know, along the way of, of, of what it was. And, you know, something quite interesting is uh, after maybe three or four or five months of uh, our application being in and they'd asked us for more info and some questions, um, Mount Gox went under. We actually got an email from uh, from ASIC saying, "Look, now that Bitcoin's gone broke, do you still want this license?" <laughs> you know, this, this is the kind of you yeah. know the the level of awareness at the regulator level. Um, yeah. So so they didn't give us a license. So the, you know, it's still not a financial product. So ASIC is still not regulating this space. Um, but. They've come a long way. I mean, we've you know, been communicating with ASIC for, uh, for a number of years on, in a couple of different areas, so that they're certainly coming along. And I guess in the next 
year or two, ASIC will have some regulations in place for this industry. And, and that involves the requirement to get licensing? Yeah, well, I think, I think it should. Okay. You know, like us as an exchange, we, you know, we've got 100,000 customers. We, we hold their financial assets, their fiat assets in trust. We hold their crypto assets. So, yeah, I think we should be. And I think anyone that takes deposits from customers um, to do this, they, they should be held to a certain standard. Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, we had a conversation this morning um, with with representative from Austrac. Oz, and so they're coming in sort of at the top of the, the market as the regulatory body that looks after this. What's your view on all of that? And how has that affected your business model? Uh, it hasn't affected our business at all. We're really happy that Austrac are regulating yeah. the industry. Um, we, so Adrian, the CEO of Independent Reserve, sits on the board of ADCA. Um, and through ADCA, they've been working very, very closely with Austrac for two years to try and, you know, kind of build this regulatory framework for Austrac. Um, I think it's fantastic that's coming in on the 3rd of April. Um, yeah, so Austrac have been like an incredibly progressive regulator that's been wanting to learn and understand and yeah I think they're doing a great job and I think it's fantastic for the industry um, and I, I think it's fantastic for the consumer I think it's you know Australia's really leading the way on that side so well done very happy okay I'm gonna take the question in another direction um, uh, an exchange like so one of the things that goes around in the space and people say, okay, so where, where do exchanges get their Bitcoin from? So, I mean, I don't know if that's a proprietary thing, but where do exchanges source their Bitcoin? Okay, so there are a couple of different business models. So, so I'll tell you, there's nothing to hide here. So we're an order book exchange. So it's our buyers and sellers that trade themselves. Okay. Right. So we, independent reserve, like we're not actually trading on our order book. So we're not trading, we don't mark and make it. You don't no, do any not. market making. Yeah, it's literally everything that you see on our order book, which is you know open to publicly to look at on the website, is, right. is our customers buying and selling. Now, so it wouldn't have started off that way, though? When so we when, first when the launched, back in the Mount Gox days, right? You yeah, would have had so to... So when we first launched, we had a, a market maker kind of you know make two-way prices. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we haven't had any market maker relationships since that time in 2014. And where do you find a market maker? Is that... Uh, so they're, they're, they're out there. So, I mean, this is a pretty lucrative space to be in mm -hmm. now that there are lots and lots of exchanges in different currencies trading in uh, in, in different currencies. So it's, it's quite an, a good opportunity for market makers and proprietary trading firms to make a price and to realize arbitrage opportunities across exchanges, across countries, across okay, currency pairs. Even back then, it's, it's interesting that you would have found someone back in 2014 to do that. Yeah, after yeah, like we did. yeah, we, we did. Yeah, we did. It's fortunate. Yeah. Um, okay. So, exchanges, in the yep. pure you know, like use of the word, yeah. they don't source they their don't, own. Okay, their yep. customers are the sellers, their customers are the buyers. Yeah. Um, there are, I guess, they're called Bitcoin shops or whatever. So, if you go to a website and they make you a price, like the Bitcoin price today and you can choose buy that's more a shop okay like Those a broker guys, yeah what's that like a broker yeah like a broker yeah yeah so they're setting the price they're buying that inventory somewhere else and they're selling it at a profit yeah okay so that's a different model which is okay. not us what do you um what's your opinion on the fact that the australian spot price for bitcoin sort of 
trades at a premium to the US dollar price on the on the big international exchanges when you do the currency conversion. What's your thoughts on that? And is there an opportunity there for someone to come in and take advantage of that? And uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think Australia overall is like a net buyer. Okay, so it was, so when we're in like bullish periods, like we saw in December, I think you might have seen the AUD premium go to like five or ten percent above global. Uh, global averages. So it's to do with a couple of things. Is that banking quite difficult to get money overseas to send it to exchanges to bring uh, to you know to buy Bitcoin? Um, so so that's the premium is reflected in that. So, but I guess with part of the regulations is it's increasing the like it's increasing banks' appetite to bank exchanges and bank crypto traders. Uh, customers that are sending money to exchanges so that appetite is increasing and that's going to erode that premium so we'll, I guess be closer okay. to so you think a banks are actually allowing customers to it's getting easier it's yeah. getting easier so banking okay. I guess has been a very I guess the, the toughest part of our business yeah you know, that's something you know as a, as a business when you're starting out a technology business you think okay you take the banking for granted, but it actually has been one of the most difficult things because that's the one thing that we didn't control ourselves. Yeah, that's an interesting one, actually. A bit of um, a bit of context around the banking stuff from you would be good because there was obviously a lot of that kerfuffle last year, and I know I, I don't personally know how Independent Reserve was affected, but I remember you know people that I know that were on CoinSpot couldn't couldn't send money, I believe, to CoinSpot. They could withdraw it. I believe, um, but I think there was only like a like it was a unidirectional yeah, so sort of thing. Up until this point, banking is, I guess, a very like it's it's a difficult problem for for cryptocurrency exchanges. Banks, I guess, don't really you know the the risk to reward for a bank probably you know doesn't stack up to them. But I guess this has been changing with the industry getting you know quite big. The industry's been growing, so the exchanges are doing fantastic. They control a lot of client. Capital, which yep. you know, if, if a bank were to support them and to hold those fiat currency for them, I mean that's the tier one capital that would provide to a bank is is much higher mm. versus the perceived risk that would come from you know onboarding a customer where they don't know like uh, their AML processes. So not knowing the exchange's customer is a, a risk to the bank. Yeah. Do you guys work directly with the bank? So. F- from an AML KYC perspective, do you guys need to be open with the bank and sort of show your process before you can set up a relationship with the bank? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're kind of we're going through this conversation with a, a couple of banks at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Where we're really and, and you know they've taken a lot of comfort in the April three regulations coming in from Austria. Yeah, right. So there is a standard that we all have to. So. Us, as far as independent reserve goes, our business doesn't really change because we actually pride ourselves. I think we've got the most stringent AML KYC filters, not just in this industry, but in any financial services business, any FX broker. Um, you know, we believe we, you know, we run a pretty tight filter, and that's to avoid, you know, fraud, potential risk of fraud. Okay. And happy to say, we haven't had any fraud in years. That KYC and AML stuff, is that something that you guys outsource to professional companies that no, do KYC we, or you we do, do 
all of that in-house. So there's one component that isn't handled in-house by us, um, and that's watch list checking. So we use a company called Green ID, uh, VIX Verify. Yeah. Uh, so whenever a customer comes on board, we check them against uh, OFAC, OFAC list, DFAT list, terrorist watch list, this kind of stuff. Um, but every other component of our onboarding process is handled by us. So of our 28 staff right now, 10 or 11 work in AML KYC. Really? Oh, wow. Jesus Christ, that's, that's the biggest part of the business. <laughs> mm, yeah, just about like tech and then KYC. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Going back and to... And one sales guy. <laughs> one sales guy, the token. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so going back to November, I guess you guys would have seen a big increase in signups and registrations. Yeah. Has that slowed down a lot now? Significantly. So yeah. uh, I think at one stage, we're getting like maybe 2,000 customers a day. Yeah, wow. And that's when we really started scaling up our KYC team. Um, but now it's maybe 500 a day. So it's like a quarter, maybe a fifth. 500 a day is still solid though. Like is that? Yeah, yeah. Like, but maybe like two to five hundred new customers a day. Yeah. Okay. But we're not seeing anywhere near as much demand. So back then, I guess we traded maybe twenty, twenty-five mil a day in notional flow across all the currencies, and now it might be like five to ten. So it's dropped a bit. How does that reflect against, or how does that compare with last year this time? What do you? It's tumbleweeds. Yeah. Like last year, you know, we were. A business that weren't really making we weren't making money till maybe May 2017 okay so sure. yeah so like, it, was, it was a pretty dry run um, and then boom May came and it was just like just unbelievable uh, unbelievable growth and yeah we've just become profitable in the year like this this year no that's crazy I, I saw it listened to an interview with the CEO of Bitrex and they were literally operating with like two or three staff up until I think it was like nearly nearly the end of 2015 um, thereabouts and you know now they're obviously needing a few more people than that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no that, that's precisely it so for IR we had I mean initially when we did our raise and we built our technology I think we had about eight tech staff uh, but for the last couple of years it's just been two staff um, just kind of yeah and, and then we really ramped up yeah um, yeah are you guys going to sustain that size if um so let's say for example if the market goes into sort of bear territory and people you know shit their pants and you know signups go back to like 50 a day or whatever are you guys going to maintain that sort of size of operation or are you guys going to scale back with it or what's um so something we've done with half of our kyc team they're kind of like they're not full-time employed yep so they're um, you know, they're like the casual stuff. So we can kind of scale up and scale down. In terms of the rest of our team, it's, you know, it's kind of, we've got a lot of scalability in that team. So we've, we've uh, got a support team uh, of five people um, spread, a couple of cross, uh, like spread across a couple of geographic regions and they run a 24-hour support desk for us. Uh, we've hired a head of customer engagement um, from Equifax and, and he kind of manages our support team, does social media and that kind of gear. We've hired a head of operations. <laughs> you hear Equifax <laughs> and you start <laughs> laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just the Equifax fight. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't in the security team. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah not a security team. Um, yeah, so he's, he's doing a fantastic job. Like, so 
he's enabling us to communicate better with our customers and, yeah. and the world much better. Whereas, you know, we kind of didn't have that focus on communication um, earlier. So yeah. we can really see like our, our Google reviews and all those things, like it, it's kind of having, making an impact. So yeah. uh, the other yeah, areas wow. we hired a, a head of operations from CBA uh, and he's really helping with our corporate governance processes so he's putting in SOPs and um, risk matrices and we've got an, a, an 80 page AML KYC uh, policy um, so he's really helping our corporate governance and, and helping us do those things that the banks like um, what's more we've also got uh, on our board we've got a guy called uh, Steve James who used to be uh, I think he used to be really senior at Comsec so he's come on board uh, we've got a guy called Michael Go uh, who was ex-chief operating officer of NAB. We've got a guy called Mike Tilly, who used to be the CEO of Merrill Lynch and Challenger, and he's also the chairman of Latitude Financial. Um, and so these guys coming on board with us means that, you know, we're kind of really scaling up into a, a next level. Um, yeah, definitely legitimizing. Yeah, legitimizing and I guess just scaling up our operation to handle a much more institutional client base. Yeah, do you think a lot great. of that has to do with the recent run-up? Um, like, is because is, that's obviously you've attracted talent to the business. Yeah. And talent in in the form of you know being able to put rigor around the business. Do you think last year really attracted that? So I think the what happened with the the run-up um, made us more profitable, uh, which meant we could afford to yeah, you know, okay. sort of kind of have attract more talent. Um, that's one thing. But our goal was always to institutionalize this industry. You know, yeah. our goal is to be the first regulated, be the first audited, be the first listed, you know, these kinds of things. And, yeah. and when we're aspiring to be at that level and to target, you know, this is, these are the kinds of people that, you know, that we need to have on our team. Um, Did you say listed as in you're looking oh, well, we'd at... like to be, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think that's definitely in our pipeline. And, and I mean, we've got Martin Rogers here from KTM. So he's, uh, he's uh, a leading VC in Australia and having these kind of institutional strategic investors in our business is, is really kind of helping us go to that next level. Awesome. Got two more quick questions. One of them is around security. Cause I think a lot of people, when you talk about centralized exchanges, freak out. Um, and then the other piece is going to be around um, uh, fiat to crypto, crypto to crypto exchange sort of um, yeah. functionality. Which one do you want to hit first, the security piece? Or? I'll get the security All right, piece. Yeah. So yeah, I guess the question is going to be then a lot of people you know, are afraid to jump onto centralized exchanges or hold their um, currency there because of the case of you know, honeypot attack. Yeah. Um, how do you guys deal with that and what do you guys do to maintain the security of people's funds? Um, I, I, I still think, you know, if you've got the capability to secure your own crypto, you know, have a hardware wallet, you know, do backups, all this kind of stuff, you should do it yourself. Um, if you don't have this experience, then you're better off leaving on an exchange. Yep. Um, and that's, I guess, a pretty large proportion of our customers at any one time hold their crypto with us. So, you know, that's quite a large honeypot, as you said. Um, what we do is we've actually... so. Like most exchanges, we, we use cold storage. So 95% of our client cryptos is held in cold storage. Um, and this cold storage is not just on an offline laptop, but we brought in uh, traditional custodians, custodians like Perpetual um, and vaulting services like um, Guardian and Custodian Vaults. And so we use a number of uh, vaults around Australia where our 
where our offline cold storage is held. Okay. Is that um, sort of built in a like a redundancy sort of factor where um, it requires two of three? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. To, yeah. So to so to access our uh, to access our cold storage, yeah. So we need you know we need multiple directors, uh, trustee that we all have keys, uh, memorized uh, passwords. We have to be identified. There are like multiple security teams that that are involved in this process. So yes, there's a honeypot, but um, but so, we've made yeah, like to secure it, we've had to bring in a lot of other people. So, so if like, we kidnap you, there's really no point. Yeah, like <laughs> if you if you kidnap um, IR, like kidnap us, you couldn't get access to yeah, it. So yeah. I guess we'll get the drill. Yeah. We, we should call it off. Then. <laughs> it's we'll all the over. Yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, Justin, no, <laughs> not this week. Right? Yeah, we'll, we'll get the drill. Yeah, and, like, we, we just can't. Like we can't access our own crypto because there are so many other parties that are involved in this piece. Yeah. So what do you guys do for, in a liquidity perspective then? So let's say, for example, a bunch of people want to withdraw crypto. Do you guys need to like scramble 50 people from Perpetual from here, from there and everything and try to get access to that crypto? Yeah, or? so our hot wallet, uh, generally like in stable times like this, um, our hot wallet is, is, is the float, so we don't need to access cold storage every day. I guess our cold storage we need to access like every, I don't know, once a month or something. Yeah, okay. And so... That's okay. Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay. Just, wow, impressive. Um, just, yes, but yeah, definitely, you know, with security versus convenience, it's always the trade-off, right? Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Just going back to some of the names you mentioned who were sitting on your board, um, sort of from traditional markets, what's their view on this space? They are getting comfortable with it, but they trust our pedigree, Yeah. Um, our own backgrounds and our own skill sets we've brought into the business. So Adrian is the chief architect that built it. Myself with my um, markets and trading background. Uh, Roman, who's our CTO, he's been building trading, high-end trading uh, systems for banks around the world, like Barclays and UBS and uh, Westpac and you know these kinds of... So these guys have trusted us to build a great business and, and the technology that, that, has, that we've built from day one is really, you know, held us in good stead so they're Definitely. comfortable with that and, and increasingly when we come to forums like this we're seeing you know it's just growing and then the types of firms the institutions that are getting involved in this space is is, is really you know comforting so a couple of the, our, our clients and, and big supporters of our business guys like Steve Bellotti who was head of uh, global markets at ANZ you know he set up a hundred million dollar crypto fund um, Richard Galvin who uh, used to be head of ECM at JP Morgan He's, he's set up a, a crypto fund and so these guys are coming and you know I speak to these guys and, and the, I, the, the vibe is is going to be US like pension funds and endowment funds really? these guys are going to start allocating to crypto this year what do you think that allocation will be initially uh, I guess these guys control billions and billions so you know, even if they allocate like half a percent yeah that's still a significant definitely s still a significant allocation to a you know, an industry which is a couple of hundred billion all up so do you think the net effect of all of this um, extra capital allocation you know means basically you know what half these people want to hear is that everything's gonna start the price uh, maybe not everything uh, but definitely yeah. Bitcoin and ethereum so yeah. these guys when they allocate they'll be allocating mostly to Bitcoin, like kind of long only. Yeah. Um, and then some will be allocating to Ethereum and then, and then there are some crypto-focused hedge funds that, that have allocations to ICOs. Yep. 
Um, ICOs, I guess, are much, much further along in that risk curve, so the, the allocations to that is much, much less. What's, um, what's the plans around expanding the, um, the independent reserve product suite? So at the moment, you guys are fiat to crypto exchange. Like, maybe there's two questions here. One, why didn't you go down the path of being like the Australia's version of Binance? A, and then B, let's talk about what you're doing. Yeah, okay. Um, so the Binance business model is a bit different. So, so our goal was to always be the number one fiat to crypto gateway for Australia and New Zealand customers. Um, and, and our expertise is around, I guess, as well as technology, it's kind of banking and banking relationships and yep. working with regulators. Um, I, we, we won't change that. So, so we're always going to be like fiat to crypto, at least for the short amount of time. Um, so we also won't, like, I guess there are some additional complications in trading like crypto to crypto, like, you know, we charge fees now in AUD, NZD, USD. Um, so there are some additional, there are some additional complexities when it comes to charging in, yep. in crypto because like, you know, we, we collect GST and when we pay GST, what should we, should we sell the crypto GST at the time we collect or do we do it right before we you know, pay our tax and if the value of the crypto goes up in value, is there, is, there GS, is there capital gains on our GST? So there's like a whole range of complications that we haven't really thought about, haven't really worked out a solution to. And at the same time, like none of our clients are, you know, we're not seeing huge demand for, demand for it, yep. from, from Aussie customers for crypto to crypto. But I mean, I don't want to shut the door, but it's certainly not our business at this point. Um, in, in terms of crypto, like we're going to deploy Litecoin as soon as we get back from this conference. Uh, we'll be deploying Litecoin um, in a couple of days and we're back in Sydney. Yep. Uh, probably launch Ripple after that and we'll probably, I guess at some point, we'll uh, enable ERC20 tokens as well. So at this stage, you've got Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum, is that right? Just yep. the three? Bitcoin, okay. Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum and then Litecoin next Litecoin week. And Ripple, okay. Probably Ripple if it's still around after that and then... Yep. I guess yeah, uh, I say twenty tokens. <laughs> that was the best call of the week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're an exchange, right? So, yeah. we, you know, we give what the people want, and it's not, you know, like our, our, you know, it doesn't matter what our beliefs are on how decentralized the currency is or, or not. You know, if the customers want it, then we're going to be the gateway for them to buy it. Cool. At the moment, just to just to clarify as well, so if someone, so if you guys have uh, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin, and Ethereum, people can't transact between those. They need to go from Ethereum to Fiat, then from Fiat back to Bitcoin. Correct. So, so they need to say, they need to either go AUD Bitcoin, which you yep. can do on IR, yep. or, or go AUD Ethereum. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. And if, but if they're already holding some Bitcoin and Ethereum, they can't just swap between the two, right? Yeah. They need, to, they need to go back out of yeah, the correct. Fiat on frame on ramp. Correct. And back around. But you know, now we've got a whole bunch of additional capability. So, you know, we're also starting to work with some bigger, big four accounting firms with, with regards to audits. So our capability increases as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm not closing that door yet. Yeah. And where do you think? this is all going in say four or five years. One of the questions um, we were asking uh, Austrac today is about their relevance in the fact that people might operate solely in the crypto um, ecosystem. They might get paid in crypto. They might never really need dollars unless they have to pay tax and that sort of thing. Um, but 
where, where, where do you think this is ultimately going to end up, this crypto revolution we're on? Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting problem for the regulators. It's something that they, they have to learn. Um, and, and I guess if people want to be, you know, just live in a, in a crypto world, you know, in a Bitcoin economy, then, yeah, I guess, I guess the regulators will have to kind of have to cross that bridge when it comes to it. But certainly us as a business, you know, we've been wanting to work with the regulators and I guess that's one of the, the pillars to our growth as well, to be, I guess, an institutional pro-regulation, um, pro-regulation exchange. But, but less from a, like a regulatory point of view, do you think that cryptocurrencies will have that sort of impact on the way the world works? Oh, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's created a new new blueprint for how, you know, finance and, and money works and, it, and it's super exciting and, um, I, you know, I, I feel we're quite blessed to be in a time where yeah. we've seen this. I guess I, I was too young when the internet came around, but, yeah. you know, such a paradigm shift in, um, in the markets and how the way the world works and, and now this time it's with money and finance and it's, and it's super exciting to be, be part of it. Um, and there's a lot of institutional institutions that are walking into this space. So I mentioned a couple of our bigger customers, but um, but also we've also um, just started streaming uh, AUD and ZD pricing uh, with Bloomberg. Uh, so all Bloomberg terminal holders, they'll get uh, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum pricing and AUD and ZD uh, from Independent Reserve, which is a great development. And that's actually the reason we originated that is, is because of the customers want it. So that the yeah. funds are asking and uh, Bloomberg's many, many thousands of customers, they, they obviously want it. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how that came about. You're going to hit up TradingView? What's that? TradingView? Yeah, I think TradingView still got AUD pricing. It's uh, the last tickers from... Uh, Mount Gox, <laughs> yeah, it's like 144 AUD was the last uh, last uh, Bitcoin AUD price recorded on TradingView. So yeah. maybe someone's opening that up and just going bye bye bye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah. So so yeah, I guess, I guess TradingView. Um, we've just launched our OTC desk. We're just launching it right now. Um, so our volumes right now are around maybe five to ten mil a day. We've started to get orders from Instos and they're like $50 million or $100 million. So this is like many days of our daily trading volume accumulated. So uh, so we, we've, we're launching this desk because we're answering a call from the industry. Totally. So I, as, a, as an Australian Insto, there, isn't a, there is, a, is not a good solution that I'm aware of where, where an Insto could do an order for, you know, like 4,000 Bitcoins or, or whatever it is. So yeah. we want to be the guys to... So you have to go offshore to you know, like to Octagon or, or Genesis in New York or Circle Trade. You have to go to these kinds of guys and, and you know, you, so, so then you can't really settle in AUD. Um, you know, you're probably dealing with some like trustees or escrow services that are overseas. So our goal is to be, I guess, to be that solution for Instos in Australia and New Zealand where Instos can settle in AUD or NZD to local banking to... Uh, to a business with a brand name and a reputation and you know and brand name that won't go away and that's why we launched our OTC desk yeah but super exciting the orders the demands coming in 
Um, that's open, that's open next week. You said. Yeah, Monday. Monday that's launch. Right. The orders so have already started coming in. Yeah. Mount Gox trustee is listening. He wants to sell some more Bitcoin. He yeah, can, uh, go to, go to you instead of flooding yeah. the. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't do it. Don't don't go on Audible and hit market. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah, no, definitely. So apart from the OTC stuff um, with Independent Reserve, what's next? What what what's happening this year? What developments are being made? Uh, so development-wise, so I told you that the new coins. New coins, yep. Um, the OC, OTC desk. Uh, we want to be streaming our prices across. All the institutional trading platforms. Um, we will, you know, we've just uh, closed our deal with KTM. So KTM have, have come on board as a as a, a strategic investor for IR. So we'll get to work with with Mike Tilly and, and Steve James and, and really iron out our strategy forward. But but I think the, you know, our other goals are also to be you know a an audited, insured. Uh, exchange, which I guess there aren't very many in the world. Um, yeah. But we we want to be, you know, we ultimately our goals never changed in the last five years, and it's to be the gold standard for this industry. And that gold standard is is insurances, audits, um, trustees, you know, custodians, the biggest vaulting companies in the world, and and ultimately solid banking. On insurance, at the moment. Is there an insurance underwriter you can go to who will look at you and... We are talking to a number of insurance underwriters. Um, and, and, and it's again, it's an education process. Um, so right now, our head of ops is, you know, putting together a whole bunch of documents and corporate governance, um, SOPs and, and things like that. But that should give confidence to insurers when they uh, try and look at insuring cryptocurrency businesses. Yeah. Interesting. Well, exciting times. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> great to be in this industry. I think you guys are doing a great job, Kosh and Alex. Uh, the Thanks, APAC Sid. blockchain conference um, is, is super stuff. It's so good to see, you know, like it's growing and there's people coming in all the time and yeah. Sweet, man. If, is there anything else you want to add or are you no, good? That's it. That's Sweet, it. man. Well, well, thanks, thanks. thanks, buddy. Yeah, Appreciate cheers. Time, thanks, Kyosh. Thanks for your time. Decentralized. So, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Lasanka from Independent Reserve. It's good to it's good to hear things from someone that's come from a real financial services background. So, Lasanka's been around the forex space and the traditional capital market space for years, and they're really approaching the crypto markets like a true financial product and it was funny Absolutely. to sort of hear them get knocked back by ASIC back in the day yeah you know, trying to get an AFSL and ASIC calling up saying <laughs> you know now, now that Bitcoin's broke <laughs> <laughs> yeah Classic. the market's certainly matured a lot since then no, it is, you, you wouldn't hear someone saying now that Bitcoin's well, broke you, you might <laughs> you might I'm not going <laughs> to put true. that Let's not rule that people, out right? okay um <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure it's something my mum might say now. It's like, Bitcoin disappeared. <laughs> anyway, moving along. One of the interesting takeouts that I got from that was that banking's getting easier. I remember how hard, like, I know people that were doing brokerage and stuff like that in the Bitcoin space back in the day, a couple yep. of years back. And you'd go open an account with the bank and the bank would be like, oh, so what's your business? What are you doing? Oh, you know, helping people buy and sell Bitcoin and they'd throw you out the bank. Yeah, sure. And what's interesting, though, is from our, one of our previous episodes around 
the Austrac regulations and things like that. This is actually probably on the flip side one of the good things because now with Austrac coming in, it's going to raise the standard for how the KYC, AML, and all that sort of stuff works with the with the exchanges, which is going to give the banks more trust. Ab- absolutely. And guys like Lysenka and Independent Reserve are basically paving the way to make crypto more accessible. Yeah, opening the industry up for new players as well. More competition, more... And, yeah, and that's the good thing about the regu- regulation yeah. aspect. Um, it, it does give more confidence to the space and legitimize it and, so, and even for these guys they're operating a business and if they're unregulated they're like well hang on are we going to be shut down at any time yeah well there's that and then there's also from a consumer perspective if these guys are unregulated and i've got all my money stored on there yeah what's to say they aren't going to take a runner tomorrow yeah so so there is some good parts about it and i think honestly talking to lasanka was good because you can see again one of the more professional Oh, really no, articulate no. guys that I've met in the space. Definitely, hundred percent knows what's going on and can explain it as well. And I'm sure they've got a, a well-run company as well. And that just goes from the fact that you know they've got backing by some pretty big guys. Um, uh, a rep from KTM Ventures was actually there with Lasanka. Yep. And they've just bought into Independent Reserve. And I mean, you would you would expect that they would have done quite a significant amount of due DD, diligence yeah. on that before they uh, made their made their investment. So uh, I think that should give people uh you know a level of trust yeah and and yes it is old world trust so and again i think <laughs> i've mentioned this in an old video is exchanges aren't cryptocurrencies that's right and at the moment they're extremely necessary and, and i think people underestimate how important exchanges are at this stage is because we don't live in a crypto economy yet no. we don't live in an economy where people have the ability to transact with anyone anywhere at any time cryptocurrency is still nascent it's still volatile the prices still go up and down too much you can't run an economy like that no we're too far away from that so we need to get this layer one piece done right which is we need good exchanges we need good fiat on ramps absolutely the on the on ramps are extremely important even off ramps because you know it just means people can get in and out quickly when they want you don't want to go in and get stuck and then not be able to get out definitely and i mean that's one of the things people sort of think about um, cryptocurrencies is you you mentioned oh well well, how do i get out and they don't really know they think they just once they've bought in that's that they're in forever and maybe that just goes because yeah, people don't quite understand the way yeah. it operates. The, the other piece I'm going to touch on is also the security. So uh, again, one of the main ethos behind Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency movement is this idea that you've got your own self-sovereign ownership of your assets. And you know you can now hold a private key to your own funds. You don't need to leave it with a custodian. That's right. No, no counterparty risk. Party. Exactly. Yeah. Now... On the flip side, though, is most people are completely useless. That's right. When it comes <laughs> so, to security, it's like, what's a private key? Like the amount of people I've spoken to. So I used to run little courses on this stuff, and they've got like hundred grand sitting on a an exchange or a wallet or something like that. And when you ask them, uh, have you backed up your private key? And they look at you and say, what's a private key? And yeah. You're thinking, yeah, a- absolutely. Um, I think what the guys at Independent Reserve are doing and and listening to them on how they're, I guess, solving to an extent that custodianship issue, the ability to hold money for people. I'm actually going to go out and say it. Although I'm a proponent of people owning and being self-sovereign over their own funds, I'm actually a proponent of those who don't understand security. Just leave your stuff on an exchange. 
it's a, probably a good, safer a, there. A good exchange who are, who are taking exchange, this, exactly. thing, these, these things seriously. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I mean, it's, it's worrying when you hear what you were just talking about because that's sort of the whole point of of crypto, right? Is that you, you don't have a trusted third party. Third party or a counterparty. Yeah, exactly. And so you, I, you take self-ownership of it. And, yeah. and, and that's not easy. And that's, I guess we haven't been trained for the last 100 or 200 years to... Yeah, I there's guess been take, there's exactly. been institutions that we rely that on. We've become almost uh, exactly, and this was sort of you know our point before of uh, the overregulation, and and we 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 aren't um, we haven't grown up in a sort of free market st- exactly. type We've thing. Grown up a, sheltered, in a, yeah, and in a, we in have dependency stuff. on that sort of stuff. That's, so that's right. In order to come back around full circle to get to that, we probably need to get this piece right now and start to develop those off ramps and you know what as the technology matures more we haven't been in a situation where multiple hundreds of billions of dollars are being stored on these networks traditionally it's only been a couple billion dollars and when you think about that in the grand scheme of things sure. custodianship and security although they've been important they probably haven't been up there because if you know for, from a systemic risk standpoint if bitcoin and the whole crypto space was worth 10 billion and it popped it ain't going to do anything. But if it's worth a couple trillion dollars and you all of a sudden have people who have lost all their private keys, that could bring the whole thing crashing down. So good to hear well, how an poss- Australian company... Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> no, you, it's just, you, you just brought up a thought if they lost their private keys and that means that there's less uh, Bitcoin in circulation and perhaps could have a, a positive in- impact on the price. So uh, maybe yeah, we should be encouraging I guess... <laughs> Yeah, lose your private keys now. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean more like let's say, you know, private keys or I, I, I sort of don't know where I was getting at that. M- maybe some sort of wallet infrastructure that we traditionally thought was safe or something, and somehow private keys got exposed. But at the moment, really, exchanges are the only place to do that. Um, yeah, I don't exactly know what my point was. <laughs> I was saying that, but it, it's. I guess what I mean is, if if you understand security and you're good with it and you can trust yourself to store your own money or to store your own funds, do that because yeah. that's always the preferred option. But if you're not confident with that sort of stuff, like I know my mum, for example, wouldn't know what a private key is and if I explained it to her for the next three years, I'm sorry, Ma, but <laughs> she ain't going to understand it. Sure. And for her, it's better actually to store those funds with a reputable company like independent reserve yeah, for example ab- and not absolutely. plugging independent reserve here there's others obviously sure but talking to Lasanka and hearing the way they're approaching it and I, the players they've got involved definitely. and the protocols that they're going for and the fact that you know he might be small and all that but there's no use in kidnapping him because <laughs> you know <laughs> he doesn't have access to the private keys so he's going to get the drill for no reason so let's not kill the guy I think that stuff all stacks up for most people to be able to access this and I guess goes a step further into solving the custodianship and storage and security problem. Yeah, definitely. Uh, certainly a professional outfit. So, um, yeah. Um, that's Hope you enjoyed it. the episode, guys. And see you at the next one.